Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good morning from Coolidge, Arizona. It's good to have you um, online in class with us today. We are, as it said on the promo you probably see on your screen, that we are looking at Acts chapter 13. We left off around verse 11 last week. And this is Neil Woodbury. I'm one of the evangelists here at at the church, filling in for David that's on a vacation uh, for the next few weeks. But we will begin uh, with... um, the text, Acts 13, and I looked at this as I normally do. I try to give you an idea of what what the date is during this time. And uh, we've been, in the last month or two, we've covered about five years of time, basically. Uh, It's pretty well uh, understood or thought that the uh, first missionary journey, and that's where we're at here in chapter 13 and 14 uh, of Paul and Barnabas, uh, occurred about 45, uh, that is A.D. 45. You're supposed to say A.D. before the number for some reason. Uh, but nonetheless, it's A.D. 45 through about 47. Uh, it's a two-year trek on that first journey. But what's happening, they've just begun their journey, and they've been in Cyprus, um, which is the the home uh, country of Barnabas, I believe. Uh, Nonetheless, um, they have been talking with the proconsul there, who is the Roman government head in that area. Uh, His name is... Uh, Sergius um, Paulus, yes, and uh, he's, uh, I'm sure he's either Roman or Greek, uh, but he is certainly the proconsul. Uh, some of our older versions have him listed as deputy, uh, which I guess is an English translation uh, they feel is appropriate, but there was a relic found uh, not too long ago that mentioned this man and his title was proconsul, so in the, in the Greek. So I think we can go with that. But I want to reread verses 9 and 10 to give you a flavor of where we were. And uh, Saul and Barnabas, uh, Saul, who is actually the Apostle Paul, are dealing with Sergius Paulus, talking to him, Uh, preaching the word of God to him that he is so eager to hear. Um, But they have have opposition from a man named Bar-Jesus, a renegade Jew, as he is known to some. He's a magician, 
He's a sorcerer. He's involved in things he should not be involved in. And he certainly is opposing the message of these two Jews that have come preaching the gospel of Christ. Um, And in verse 9, I'll read it um, from my version, which is the Darby version. But Saul, who was also Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixing his eyes upon him, that is, Bar-Jesus, said, O full of all deceit and all craft, son of the devil, enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease perverting the right paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the Lord's hand is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell upon him a mist and darkness, and going about he sought persons who should lead him by the hand. Now I went through verse 11 there to give you the the entire account. I think one thing, of course, the dramatics of verse 9 and 10 are very clear. Uh, And then in verse 11 we find that something happens immediately after the apostle utters the word. And you see, these are the things of God, things that happen immediately, things that you can't do, no man can do, and a sorcerer doesn't do. Um, The idea of immediately uh, happened because of the apostle spoke the word. And what he spoke was, of course, the will of the Lord. And these things happened immediately. This was certainly a benefit to the proconsul. For he saw the power of God in these men. Not only is the message intriguing, but now he has the power of God. He sees that all of these so-called spiritual powers and magic powers of Bar-Jesus or Elymas, the magician, as he is known also, uh, these things are secondary uh, to the power of God. But certainly, he was, as it says here, um, he was stumbling around and he sought persons who would lead him by the hand. He couldn't see where he was going. And you can just about imagine the state of mind that he was in at this point. We don't hear anything more about him uh, at all, but that's all right because what we have here is quite an account, and we see here that in the early days of the uh, preaching of the gospel, as it went into the Gentile world here, um, that these miracles and, and the power of God was manifest on those that were carrying the message. Um, so that things would happen in, in a orderly and necessarily uh, quick um, occurrence. Um, they, were, they were traveling. They went from one place to the next. They needed to do their work while they were there. And that's what they were doing here. Who can know what the proconsul might have done after they left? He may have had a great effect uh, in that area because of his his faith. I, I think that uh, 
with the way that uh, with the way that the kind of effect that this miracle had on the, you know the pro council, this was to verify to him their message. That's right. I mean, Bar Jesus had been, you know, he he had some 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 kind of abilities or some kind of at least trickery that uh, I guess he that he finally maybe saw saw you know saw through. That's right, and and that's that's the point. You know these. These works were to accompany those that that went out preaching the gospel. That's what the scripture teaches. I think of Mark, Mark chapter sixteen. Um, these are the things that happened. <clears throat> so, um, this is how the Lord was was handling it then at that time, and I I think the effects of it, and as we, let's read verse twelve and we'll see the effects of it, um, because it goes on to say then the proconsul, seeing what had happened, believing, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. You see, because of what he had saw and what he heard, um, he believed, and he was amazed at the teaching of, of the Lord. You know, that word believe will get you in trouble if you use it in the normal uh, vernacular of the American tongue or the common tongue today, um, it's a lot bigger word than just the fact that uh, we see somebody crossing the street and somebody asks us if we saw so-and-so and we say, yeah, I, I believe I saw him crossing the street. Well, that's a very shallow use of the word because indeed in, in the Greek, if you study this, and I had to one time because of uh, an issue I was dealing with with in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, <clears throat> I wanted to know what's the gravity of believing uh, the message? What, what, what's it really mean? Um, well, I'll tell you, it's always this word believing, this, this idea, the idea and the concept of the proconsul believed means that it's always coupled with the idea of trusting in the message and obedience to the message. You see, once you learn about it, you want to be totally involved. You believe. And there, it's more than just a, uh, a mental exercise. Uh, it is something that affects you. Um, you hear and you see, as the proconsul did, and I, I believe that he must obey uh, the, the gospel message to be saved. I mean, wasn't that the idea? Why would uh, uh, Paul and, and Barnabas uh, just avoid that for him? Um, it doesn't uh, record it here as how long they spoke to him, but could have been hours. Uh, and it doesn't say anything more here except that he believed. And we need to understand when we read that word in the scriptures that we need to put the weight of that word the way that it's given. The way that the people that read this the first time, the Greek-speaking public, uh, they understood what the word meant. They didn't take it lightly. Um, you know, we're under the impression we might believe something one day and find it to be false the next. That's not believing. You see, that, that's a different word. That's a different idea. 
When we say we believe something, we need to stand for it. It's not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion. There's a lot of meat there. That's right. It's not just a feeling. That's the best way to put it. There is a lot of meat there. The language, the language is kind of ironic because Bar-Jesus yeah. sought to lead Sergius away from the message. It says that he sought to lead him away from it. And instead, in the end, he was humbled to seeking someone's hand to lead him around. That's right. And he had, who knows what was said? I think I know what was said, uh, because Paul was speaking to a man that wasn't a Jew, so he was preaching to him in in a way that uh, the Greek uh, uh, thinker, the Roman thinker, uh, would understand what he was talking about. And he would have been talking about the, the, the history of the Jews and the coming of the Messiah and all that had been accomplished in Jerusalem. Uh, this was the message. It had to be delivered in a, in a fashion that, somebody, that there were some roots to it. And the roots of the gospel begin with Abraham, you see. And that's how the Jews understood it. So, And by the way, I know that it's fallen on... Uh, hard times in the last uh, century or two, but this is still the message, and it's, and it's valid. I'll talk more about that just a little later on. Um, Tanya has one, one note here. She says, uh, belief leads to action on the belief. Exactly. That's part of the word because it's trust. Um, the word believe and faith and trust are all pretty much in the same root idea in the Greek. And those are big words, and we need to understand it as such. Uh, don't just dismiss the belief of the proconsul and drop it there. <clears throat> uh, I think we're supposed to look uh, and understand a little better than that. Remember, he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Uh, now, we could have had another word. He could have been he was disturbed or he was, uh, unsure, or he was this, but no, he was amazed. So, I feel good about that. That's the work they set out to do, and uh, they were doing so. We're, we're moving fast here. Uh, within a few verses, we go through weeks of time uh, because there's travels, there's one city to the next, and that's where we're at in this um in chapters 13 or 14, we're going to cover a couple of years, basically. Um, but I want to read verse 13 and 14 and then comment on them. And 13 says this, And having sailed from Pavos, Paul and his company uh, came to Pergma of Pamphylia, and John separated from them and returned to Jerusalem. But they, that is, uh, Paul and Barnabas, passing through from Perga, came to Antioch of Presidia and entered into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. They sat down. Now, a lot, a lot happens in there. A lot of things happen in those, those two verses that, 
uh, I just shared with you. Uh, let's deal with what everyone is always so concerned about is what happened to Mark. Well, if you read that verse, can you tell what happened to Mark other than what it says? <laughs> um, why did Mark depart and return to Jerusalem? Well, number one, it was his home. That's where the apostles stayed. That's where they were. Yeah, that was his home. Yes, he had relatives in Cyprus and th- things of that sort. But his home was in Jerusalem. He was lived in a large home uh, in a fairly wealthy family in Jerusalem. Um, and he departed and went home. And it's pure conjecture to make any really conclusive statements as to uh, why he did so, so I won't. But, but, uh, let's, let's read, um, to, just to cover the basis for him, let's read Acts 15, verses 35, 35 through 38. And we, we, we understand, uh, this is sometime later, of course. This is at the beginning or the thinking about the second missionary journey. But here it says, And Paul and Barnabas staying in Antioch, that is back in Syria, teaching and announcing the glad tidings with many others, also of the word of the Lord. But after certain days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return now and visit the brethren in every city where we have announced the word of the Lord and see how they are getting along. And Barnabas proposed to take with them John also, called Mark. <coughs> Excuse me. But Paul thought it not well to take with them he who had abandoned them, going back from Pamphylia, and had not gone with them to the work. So that caused a separation between Paul and Barnabas, uh, they went two different directions. Uh, not that they went two directions religiously, but that they simply uh, were not traveling together. Uh, Paul took uh, Silas, and Barnabas took Mark, and uh, and they went. Uh, Mark and uh, Barnabas went back to Cyprus. So, and then if we go to uh, Alex, maybe you can bring up Second Timothy. Chapter 4, verse 11. Much later on, during the writing of the letter 2 Timothy, which is very close to the end of uh, the Apostle Paul's life, and it's in the A.D. 60s, probably around 64, 65, somewhere in that area. Uh, Maybe a little earlier than that. It says this, Luke alone is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thyself, for he is serviceable to me for ministry. So the Apostle Paul certainly during this span of years, which was a a number of years, about 15 I think here, um, apparently Mark had, uh, uh, had brought himself back into the into good, the good fold with the apostles here and was doing the work uh, of uh, the Lord. And uh, certainly, as it says here, he is serviceable to me for ministry. He was working within the ministry. 
So and had been uh, apparently by by this time. So we see the reconciliation. So as far as Mark goes, we don't need to worry about Mark, um, except that uh, the scriptures record things, of course, as they occur, and uh, we we need to know what happened. Um, the other thing is, um, I think in verse 13, we, we find something that, that occurs <clears throat> that sets a different, little different tone for the, uh, the account in Acts, is that Paul now has taken first position as far as his name goes. Not only is the word name Paul being used instead of Saul now, uh, for, and th- this will continue, um, but he's named first, and Barnabas and Mark are, are, are named here as his company. So, um, Paul being the apostle, of course, was, was always uh, God's man there, but of course so was Barnabas and, and Mark. They were doing the Lord's work. They were involved in the ministry and the evangelistic effort that they were going out. But Paul, being the apostle, uh, would need this position. And I don't believe it's not a problem to me, but I've often wondered if maybe all of these changes, that this may have been a lot for Mark to deal with. You know, Barnabas was his uncle, and he was in awe of his uncle for the faithful powerful man that he was, the encourager of the saints. Um, and he might have thought maybe it should have been Barnabas that was leading. <laughs> I don't know that to be true. I'm just making a comment. But uh, also there's another thing that uh, other commentators have said concerning this, and uh, <clears throat> that road from Pergma uh, up to into the area of Pamphylia, uh, up towards Antioch, that road was famous for having robbers and very bad individuals along that road that were constantly, because this was a major trade route, that were constantly attacking people and robbing them. And all of these things weigh on a person's mind. Um, I'm sure that's probably the first thing they heard when they said they were going in a direction, they'd say, well, you don't want to go up there. You better be careful. So um, nonetheless, I'm glad that uh, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas were not scared off from their work uh, because the Lord himself had sent them there. But in verse 14, they've traveled from Pergma and have come to Antioch of Pisidia. And, of course, this is another Antioch but it's in Pisidia, which is almost in the Galatia area. Uh, And they entered into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and they sat down. I I like that, because that's what you do. They go in and they sit down, because there was uh, men that were in charge in that synagogue, and they were there as visitors, and of course they would have been very proper. Uh, they would have been seen and recognized as Jewish men, probably by their attire and their disposition, their communication, their greetings, and all the, of these things. 
Um, but as they were there at the, at the end of the uh, what they did during that synagogue worship time, um, we 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 find that. Um, and in, here's what's interesting about this, before I forget it. Um, they came to Antioch, uh, Presidia, and it looks like about the first thing they do is on the Sabbath day, they go to the synagogue. Because remember, the Apostle Paul in Romans and in other places says that the gospel is to be preached to the Jew first and then the Gentiles. So even though Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, he certainly was going to go to the Jews every time he came to a new place, if there was Jews in that area. Uh, sometimes there weren't. Uh, they didn't have a synagogue. It took a certain number of men and uh, that had the ability to be active in the synagogue to have a synagogue. So um, they did. They must have had a large one here. But remember, this was their ministry and this was their intent to not only go to the synagogue, but have some opportunity to speak uh, the glad tidings, as it was known, which is the gospel message, to the Jews. So, And, and that's what we find as we go into uh, verse 15. Um, is that's, that's what occurs. Now, why does it occur? Was it customary for visitors to have an opportunity to speak to the assembly? I I really wouldn't think so. Not in the synagogue setting. This was a place of teaching. Uh, how did they know that they were men that were able or had anything to teach? Would, would Paul have been a recognizable face? Well, he may... There, Paul was a well-known man. Saul of Tarsus was a well-known man. I don't know if he was recognized. It doesn't say, so we don't know. If he would have been recognized, they probably also would have heard about what happened to him. Uh, although I'm sure that the Jews didn't uh, weren't using that little occurrence to, to help further themselves along because uh, they didn't like the, what happened to Saul of Tarsus who was a very powerful, learned man amongst the Pharisees. He was a Pharisee's Pharisee, a teacher of Pharisees. Uh, that was his position at, at this time in his life before, uh, before he was converted and became a Christian and called to be the apostle Paul. So verse 15, let's hear it. And after the reading of the law, and the prophets, by the way, that's what they did in the synagogue setting. The rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation to the people, speak. That's, uh, that's a very gracious thing to do, I think. Uh, they read the law and the prophets. Um which would have been passages from the Pentateuch and passages from probably Psalms and probably Isaiah, Ezekiel. Um, And there were rulers within the synagogue, as I said, certain men. And they got the message to 
Paul and Barnabas <clears throat> about the idea that they'd like to hear them if they had an exhortation, in other words, something that would benefit the people there that, that they could say, that they could speak. Now, what better invitation to preach the gospel to the Jewish people than that? Of course, these these rulers had no idea what they were going to hear. Uh, well, they probably thought they had were going to hear these two men praise God for their safety and their travels and all of these things and uh, what they were doing and and all of this. But instead, what they heard was uh, a wonderful gospel message. Um, I I think just to look at it in, in this way, what does Paul say after, and by the way, Paul is the one who stands up. He rises up in verse 16, makes a sign with his hand and says, Israelites and you that fear God, hearken. Um, that's verse 16. What is he going to say? And, and this is an interesting thing that I want to discuss just a little bit. Because in the, in the book of Acts so far, up to the 13th chapter here, we find the preaching of the good news or the gospel to the Jews, to the Gentiles, and to the Samaritans. We've had preaching to all three groups. Um now, to the Jews only, uh, Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4, Peter is preaching to them. And we remember what he said in those sermons. Once again, he's going back. He's talking about the, the past, the forefathers of Israel, the things that were prophesied. And now here is Jesus of Nazareth and the gospel, to obey the gospel. Those chapters, 2, 3, and 4, then in chapter 7, Stephen gives a history lesson to the Jews as to how snip-necked they are and, and unwilling to accept God's word and, um, and speaks well of Jesus of Nazareth. Looks into heaven and sees the Lord standing at the right hand of God. He's stoned for that. And yet the message is so, so very clear and pointed. And that message was to help them, not harm them. Then in verse, in chapter 9 of Acts, Peter is preaching to the Jews. And then chapters 13 and 14, Paul and Barnabas are speaking to Jews and uh, proselytes, at least proselytes, um, since they were in the synagogues and other places. Now, as far as to the Gentiles, the preaching was uh, chapter 10, Peter, chapter 13 and 14, Paul. And then, of course, skipping ahead a little bit in chapter 17, Paul is in Athens speaking to the Greeks. Um, whether there was any Jews in that company or not, I doubt, because he was speaking on Mars Hill, where it was the gathering place of the the uh, uh, the scholars of Athens, those that fathered, uh, followed the scholarly teachings of Aristotle and those sort, uh, but were eager to know anything new about any religion. 
And the Samaritans in chapter 8, Philip was preaching to the Samaritans. Um, he also preached to the proselyte from Ethiopia. But the sermon that Paul gave in chapter 17 to the Gentiles is much different than the message given than is preached to the Jews and the proselytes as far as that goes. Because remember, a proselyte is a Gentile that is becoming a Jew that's been trained in the way of the Jewish life, uh, the, the Jewish scriptures, and are well aware of those things of the Jewish life. They want to be uh, involved. And as a matter of fact, in Paul's greeting here in the synagogue, where he makes the comment um, by making a sign with his hand. Let me read verse 16 again. And Paul, rising up and making a sign with his hand, said, Israelites, and you that fear God, hearken. Now, is he speaking only to Jews there, and Jewish-born, or maybe I think there's proselytes within that group because those are known as those that fear God. And fear there doesn't mean they're afraid of God. It means they love God. They believe there is a God. The one God. Hear, O Israel, our God is one. That's who these other people were. Um, so, um, yeah, you can look at that word and it's, yeah, it's to be in awe of. To be in awe of, revered, right. Of course, we, we know that it can be used to be frightened, too. Uh, but but the, the idea of fearing God uh, isn't that type. That type of fear is not, is not beneficial. Uh, it's the other type, to be in awe of. That means you're very reverent toward, you're respectful of, uh, you believe. You have faith, like Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. All of these things are are what is intended, uh, and what Paul was speaking about when he said, "And you that fear God, those are the others. Hearken, in other words, pay pay very close attention to what I say." And you know. I'd like to say something about these messages. Um, there's a lot to teaching about how to preach in the world we live in. One place after another teaches. But, you know, um, when we read the, the preaching of the apostles in the, in the Scripture, I think we need to at least uh, recognize the fact that what they were saying was absolutely what needed to be said at that moment. So if we're preaching to the, the Jews, the Gentiles, or, or, or pagans, we need to follow the example that we have in Scripture as to what the text should be. How should we approach it? What should we say? What should be our theme, you see? And you're not going to convince the, your Jewish audience of a single thing if you don't understand and can't talk about the history that is their entire culture and life. If you can't 
convince them that you have great respect for for Abraham and for Jacob and for the tribes of Israel and for all that occurred and the fact that they were God's uh, uh, shared in the covenant with God for many, many years, um, then you're not going to be very successful uh, telling them anything about their Messiah. You know, most of them are still waiting for their Messiah. They're, most of them have given up waiting for their Messiah. But if you can show them that their Messiah indeed came, I think you'll be a great benefit to them. So the preaching to the Jews is, um, I would think, very much the same today as it ever would have been. But Paul was a zealot at one time, a powerful man in the Jewish community. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have no idea if this group knew who he was. And, And I do say that, knew who he was, because he's not the same now, but who better to to uh, convince those of what the history was telling them? Who uh, who better to uh, point out the error of the Jews' ways in killing the prophets as they came? Yeah. And this was the problem. And and although it doesn't seem to you like Paul is being more reverent of the Jews here than someone like Stephen was, Stephen was when he was speaking. Stephen was was a little bit more hostile in his delivery. Cut him to the quick. Yeah. He was, Stephen was, but he was also being accused of something that was false. Well, he was, and he that was, would be the difference. He, he was, was defending himself. <laughs> what he was saying was being twisted. Yes. He had false people saying false things about what he had said and what it meant. Uh, And he probably understood that his voice was probably going to be secondary to those accusers. But he did the right thing. He spoke what they needed to hear. Of course, it enraged them. But Paul here, Paul has a love for his his countrymen that was probably never excelled by any other Jew. He had a a concern for them, a real love for them. And when he started to speak, I'm sure they picked up the fact that he he was a teacher. He was a Pharisee. Um, And he he understood. Um, He understood them. And that goes a long ways towards being convincing as far as bringing something new up. I mean, don't you think you'd be a lot more likely to believe something somebody said when when they have so much in common with you and and you kind of know who they are uh, rather than just somebody that just walks in? You don't know who they are. You don't know what their background is. Um, So to the Jews, you know, I I, I think it's clear. And Acts is mostly, in the first part at least, filled with uh, preaching to the Jews. They never stopped preaching to the Jews. They were trying to preach to the Jews right up to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. They were still doing it. Um, those that were, were left in the churches, that is. Um, but when we look at Acts 17, 
We see Paul preaching to the pagan scholars of Greece. And we see a lot different approach to uh, these people that are actually asking once again, we want to know what is it you're talking about. We want to know about your religion. We want to know about this. They're eager to know. And he starts with the comment about the thousands of gods they have statues to, and he wants to tell them about the one that they had marked the unknown god. That's the one that he wants to talk about. Let me tell you about the one you don't know about. And he goes on to to show them that this is the God, the one true God in heaven, the God of the Israelites. Believe me, everyone in that culture knew the history of the Israelites. They knew about the actions of God uh, from Egypt all the way. They knew about these great occurrences. They knew about the the, the power that Israel had been under David and Solomon and the workings of God in Israel. They knew about this, but they had no knowledge of the Hebrew God. And Paul was going to teach them. And dealing with them on their level, which was a scholarly level, mentioning their poets, mentioning their writers, and people they respected, um, and, and then he brings up the idea of resurrection. This was a fantastic thought to these people. Some of them just scorned it, but others just couldn't get enough of it. And they wanted to know about it. And that's when he introduces Jesus Christ, the one that's been raised from the dead. You see, so whether it's to the Jews or the Gentiles, at the end of the story we find Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, becoming the subject of the whole conversation. And um, this formula, brethren, I think we need to continue. Um, whenever we can, we need to make sure that we, we don't stray too far from what's effective to those that are listening. If we have opportunity to teach or preach, let's make sure we know who we're teaching or preaching to if we can at least the culture, and incorporate the things that are going to be effective and useful there to help us with the message that we want to talk about as we integrate into what it is they need to do um, to be saved, to become a Christian, or to return to the faith with some assurance and real um, uh, some real legs under it. See, a lot of people have religion, but the first time it's challenged, the legs are taken out and, and they simply walk away. That's not useful. Now, I want to ask you something. We're getting close to the end of our class, but does the preaching of Peter, Paul, and Stephen and others, does it resemble very much anything that we find being done today? Not too much. I mean, there are places, I'm sure, and, and I know of some, but... Um, right here comes to mind. Yeah. yeah. We're trying to do that, of course, right here. But I, I want to tell you the majority of of uh, people that are naming Christ as their Savior, this is not what they're hearing. Um, 
And, I mean, those that are coming to, are seeking to know what this is about are not hearing these sorts of things. They're hearing other things. They're hearing cultural, um, emotional, uh, financial, you know, all the things that they feel are attractive to the, to the, uh, the thinker and the seeker today. Well, you know, there's an old saying. Uh, I heard it. I know it's 100 years old. probably was when I heard it. It's, and it goes this way. What you want them with is what you want them to. So if you want them with the, the song service and the band and, and the good times that the church has out in the parking lot or in the uh, recreation hall, then when that goes away, they have no faith left. So you have to win them to Christ. Uh, if you don't do that, they have nowhere to go when times get rough. You know, these parties don't go on forever. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I'll let you judge from your own experience about that. But as we go on next week, uh, we're going to hear the, the message that Paul speaks in that synagogue, and I think you'll see what I'm talking about. But consider it. Consider it. And we'll go on from there. Uh, next week I'm going to start with uh, why it is that we should, we should preach and teach as the apostles. I'll go to a verse in 2 Timothy. I think it makes it pretty clear. So we'll begin there. And then with verse um, uh, 16, verse, yeah, well, I'll start with verse 16 and we'll move on into his message next week. Uh, let us close in a word of prayer. Our Father, your word is a joy to be reading, a joy to be talking about and listening to, just a real joy to be part of your family. You have left us this word that we may study, that we may learn, that we may appreciate all that has been done on behalf of men and women that will seek you and 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 find you, and be reconciled to you through their, uh, our Savior and your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.